Welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Eric Trexler and Rachel Lyon to explore the latest in global cybersecurity news, trending topics, and industry transformation initiatives impacting governments, enterprises, and our way of life. Now, let's get to the point. Hey, everyone. Welcome to To The Point Podcast, episode 121. I'm Rachel Lyon, here today with host Eric Trexler. Good afternoon, Eric. Good afternoon, Rachel. We're at 121. Where did the yeah. time go? It's flying by. And we've got Dr. Margaret Cunningham on today. She was here back in October 2019 for episode 49 and 48. And by the way, if anyone hasn't listened to that, push pause, go bookmark it, and make sure you listen to it because it's amazing. Talking about the anatomy of a human breach. Uh, and we're going to, I think, do a little jumping off point from that discussion and, and fast forward two years and, and look at this crazy world we're in today. And, you know, how, how are we dealing? Margaret, what are you a doctor of? Yeah. <laughs> so I have a PhD in applied experimental psychology, which is basically um, I'm a professional at measuring human stuff. Um, but it's more than that, because the applied part of that degree means I'm really good at measuring human stuff in the real world versus in a laboratory, uh, which is a completely different story. So, <laughs> OK, sounds a little more complex than than my marketing degree, Rachel. But this is I mean, this is what's so fascinating, because you've, you've done this for the Department of Homeland Security. Right. Um, and then you've come over here to the cybersecurity world and. We were talking a little bit, uh, I think last week, it, are you now a cyber psychologist? I mean, is that like a thing now or? <laughs> Rachel, I get called a lot of different names. <laughs> I feel like we could use a few hundred of those. <laughs> so, you know, it's funny because I've had a lot of different job titles because it's a very niche field. Yeah. And um, I actually came from more of a physical security and technology integration background. Uh, with Homeland Security, I was supporting the human systems integration branch. And that's a mouthful. But um, it's a little bit different. But now I'm applying that applying that same tool set to the cybersecurity domain. I'm fascinated by this. I think with everything that has been going on the past couple of decades in cybersecurity, we need to change it up. And, and, and looking at it differently is so important. Yeah, it's it's kind of remarkable because I, I, I find myself laughing a lot because uh, I think one of my best skills is writing. So in absence of all of my technical skills, it's being able to communicate my findings, um, talk to different types of engineers and software developers and security folks and make those connections, put it on paper and help people see the vision. Um, and it, it's, it's not something that we think about very often. No, and I, I know you've spent a lot of time recently thinking about the lack of behavioral science expertise and the analytics and software piece. And, and, and one of the things we've talked a lot about on the show, I spend a lot of time on is we, we always talk about tech, like tech is going to fix this world we live in as, as we move and, you know, digital transformation and become more and more online. But we're not injecting a lot of behavioral science into the tech even if the tech were to fix some of these prob massive problems we have? Yeah, it's, it's very funny because I, I think I've probably said this on almost every podcast I've done, but I don't think that we can separate people from technology anymore. Um, no matter what your job is, you're touching technology. 
So it's not like it's this unique corner of the universe that is special. Uh, It's actually everywhere, all day, personal life, professional life. And by ignoring the behavioral impact and also some of the design things that we need to think about, uh, we're not doing a very good job. (laughs) So I'm going to go off on it. I'm going to go off on it. I don't know if it's a tangent or just a line of thinking. To me, it's almost like separating HR from the workforce. You just can't do it. Like it's, it's a societal thing at this point with technology. It's just kind of built in in the way we interact with one another, interact at, at work with systems. It's almost got to be, everybody has to have some level of, of capability, awareness, and, and know what they're doing in tech. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of, um, what I find pretty frequently is that what companies will do is they'll take someone who is maybe an engineer uh, who's interested in the human stuff. <laughs> and then they make that person the one that does those things, even though they might not necessarily have the same uh, training or background. And, and what are those things that you speak of? Oh, uh, so imagine a company that's coming up with a behavioral analytics software. Okay. And they don't have anybody who understands human behavior in the same way that somebody who is a psychologist or a sociologist or whatever. And they just sort of guess at what these behaviors mean. Uh, And they label them something that makes sense, but it's not really an accurate reflection of like real human behavior. So I know it's a little fuzzy, but um, we get a lot of mislabeled things because of that. Like this person is, disgruntled. Um, if I got a product built by engineers and they said, this can show me when you have a disgruntled employee, I would be wary of that indicator. Because the engineers who built it probably don't understand the human mind to the extent to understand what a, what a disgruntled employee, what the markers are, right? Sure. Yeah. And it's, they might get some of it, but it's not going to be as good. And when we're dealing with some of these, um, I would call them supplementary indicators in our world, those supplementary indicators have to be very good for them to be useful. Okay. Rachel, I almost, I I feel like I've seen this even (laughs) generically in tech when I'm working with, with organizations where, where just the mission comes first. I mean, not even looking at behavioral, um, technologies, but just they'll skip over cybersecurity tools or capabilities because they don't want to slow the mission down. Exactly. So a very, a very rudimentary example, but, but the tech, they buy the tech, but then they want to use it because the mission has to happen. I mean, and, and, and nobody looks at the, the, uh, the balance, the risk balance, the risk equation, I would say, I mean, very, very few people look at that and even when they when they understand it and study it and they say, okay, this is a conscious decision of what I'm going to do with this technology, how we're going to implement it. You know, pick something as simple as like DLP. We'll just monitor. We won't block right, because we can't right. stop the general's email. Yeah. They'll talk about it. But the second there's a problem, they shut the whole thing down. Because exactly. Human behavior and says we can't be impacted in impacting the mission. That's a great point. And I, you know, and I love that you brought up risk, because Margaret, you had mentioned this earlier too about, you know, so, you know, calculating risk, right. And, and 
and getting to a point where you're like, okay, this is risky, but then what do you do about it? Like, I thought that was a really fascinating point. Yeah, it's, it's really funny because um, you think about what it means to not really cross the line, but come right up to it. So, you know, this seems very suspect. This doesn't seem quite right, but I'm not confident that I can make any sort of decision or act on it because the rules aren't there. And in our world, we're very, you know, like dichotomous. It's good or it's bad. There's not enough of that um, nuance. And organizations aren't necessarily prepared to deal with that person who's coming right up to the boundary. Well, we see this in the government all the time, right? It's very black and white. You can do this. You can't do this. Well, Mm -hmm. what if I need to look, the regulation says you can do this. You can't do this. And they implement technology that way, or they don't because of that. It's, it's really interesting. Yeah. You know, Eric, you're probably really familiar with shall statements. And that you yeah. shall do this. And it's, it's written into so many government documents. And there's always, if you've been on the other end of developing these documents, it's should I use should or shall. And it really is baked in from the very beginning, even for, you know, an RFI, right? It's very uh, rigid. It's, that's, how, that's how it's built. Well, the whole bureaucracy, not, not that it's bad or good, not a judgment statement here, but the whole bureaucracy is built that way, right? Everything is written down. I remember when I was in the army, there was a manual for everything. What color ink can you use? (laughs) What if I use gray? Well, gray wasn't an option. (laughs) Like, What do you do? So I I get it when you get to infosec tools, cybersecurity tools. and, And I think one of the, one of the outcomes we see is people buy a lot of tools because yep low risk. I'm going to buy these tools, but they don't, Rachel, as you were saying, we were talking about risk. They don't necessarily think about risk and what they're trying to accomplish. Right. They think more in the terms of what tools do and does that map to what I need? And can I put that up on my, you know, on on, on my list of things accomplished so I can move on to the next level? But but did you really make that agency, make that organization, that company on the commercial side, a safer place to work? Right. Well, did I you protect the information better, the IP? To, and to Margaret's point, I, you've made this in the past as well. You know, if, if you look across the department and you see all of these, you know, the majority of people using this workaround, hey, maybe we actually need to go back as the agency, you know, and, and rethink how we deliver these things. If everyone is obviously needing them, but we're not giving it to them. So there's tiny crimes, as you like to say, uh, sometimes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, you know, Eric, you're saying we just keep buying stuff yeah. and yeah. we're saying, okay, well, this one is to deal with this problem. And it's like whack-a-mole, but like technology stack. And the hope is that with all this different stuff, people will fall in line and that's going to make the difference. And everyone's going to stay in their little lane and follow the rules. Um, but the reality is when we have more and more stuff layered on, we just get way more creative. And that's what I love about people. They're resilient. They're creative. They have um, so many different ways to get around things. But when you make people very, very creative by layering all this stuff on top of them, 
um, the only thing you manage to do is lose complete visibility. So I know you're not a clinical psychologist because <laughs> I, I wish you were. We, we'd have much deeper conversations about this type of thing. We, but we've been doing this in InfoSec for decades. The adversary clearly has an asymmetric advantage over the defender. Right. For all the reasons. Right. There are no silver bullets. The adversary only has to be right once. They get as many attempts as they want, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. At what point does human psychology, Margaret, say we've got to change the rules of this game? We've got to change things up. We can't just keep doing the same old somebody puts a zero day out and we, we create some tool set or we create some, you know, capability essentially to deal with it because the next day another O day comes out or another technique comes out, at what point does the human mind say, enough is enough, let's figure out a better way of doing this? I think some of it comes down to cost, because okay. what I do know is that people make mistakes in predictable ways. So if we took the time to understand why we're making certain types of mistakes and what the situations are, then we can deal with some of those issues from, you know, social engineering attacks. Yeah. But it's not something that we can expect the human to do because we're always going to make those mistakes. Right. It because has we're human. to be built. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's, I mean, it, there's no possible way that you can increase my attention span by showing me a security awareness training video. Right. Um, but to cope with those predictable mistakes, you have to go deeper into the system and start um, kind of designing error tolerant systems that can withstand the mistakes that people make. That is not a superficial fix. Okay. Um, so if I'm a government customer <laughs> and I just got the CISO job for agency X and I've realized over time, my agency has spent more and more money. We've created more and more tools. We have more and more people focused on cybersecurity, infosec, call it what you will. And we're not getting any better. And I want to make a difference. I would argue there aren't a lot of options out there for me outside of the tool space. I mean, I, I can take a step back from a, a, a management perspective and say, okay, how are my people organized? What are we doing? Where are we spending our time? Can we spend our time here? Can we spend our time there? But there aren't a lot of options. In the tool space. Yeah. And, it, you know, it's funny because um, I do think there is a serious advantage for people who decide that they want to understand behavior instead of control it. Okay. And, you know, for the same reason, uh, we need to understand and predict the types of mistakes people are going to make or what seems weird. So let's look at anomalous behavior, which doesn't necessarily mean bad. It's just different. Yeah. Um, but the more we can identify those patterns, the sooner we can understand that somebody's made a mistake, the better our system can recover. Okay. Is he buying it, Rachel? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm trying to think. I'm a, I'm a new manager. I, I, I'm now responsible for the, the protective posture for this agency I just took over as a CISO. And I'm, I'm trying to apply that and say, okay, what do I do tangibly? It's very easy right. for me to go out and buy the latest, you know, right now it's Zero Trust. Last year it was machine yep. learning and artificial intelligence. Go back to 2010, 12, it was next gen firewall and we're going to mm -hmm. collapse the stack. 
I mean, the, the industry does a great job of marketing to people what they should buy to solve their problems. The problem is, as we saw with Sunburst or what we're now calling Holiday Bear, right? I mean, these agencies don't even know how badly they've been penetrated in some cases. Yeah. The best recommendation I've heard from any experts, myself included, is burn the whole thing down and start over. But that only works if you have enough money, time, staff, and until the next breach that comes in, you're not making yourself any better, but we keep buying tech. So I'm, I'm trying to think through if I were in charge of an organization's defense, how I would take what you just said and do something about it. I think it starts with measuring things. And I don't know that most places are very good at measuring the outcomes that we want, right? So agreed. if I want to buy something and I'm anticipating that this thing that I buy is going to make an impact, I better have something to compare that to. Because if you just add stuff, who knows what's going on? You don't know if it's making it better or worse or what have you, because there's no measurement involved. Um, and I think that's actually a, a critical, you know, issue that we are all facing where we say we're data driven in organizations, but are we? Well, and even when we are, <clears throat> right, we, we received 352,000 phishing email attempts last month. Outstanding. How many got through? Well, we're not sure. Okay. What are you going to do about it? I'm going to put an RFP on the street for a better email tool. Right. Awesome. And, and speaking to outcomes, I've yet to see an RFP, RFI, RFX really talk about outcomes. It talks about speeds and feeds, technology, do this, do that, where they're almost prescribing what they want you to do, but not in the sense of a specific outcome. Is it a lack of knowing what that outcome needs to be? I mean, is that part of the problem or? Yeah, so I'm not a psychologist. I, I, I personally think it's really hard. <laughs> I, I think it's difficult for a cybersecurity professional today to really make a difference. And, and when they are making a difference, it's almost like insurance. You're not using it. You have it. That's great. You're protected. But you, you can't go somewhere and say, hey, I protected this agency from cyber attack because it's almost like proving a negative. You stopped everything. But what was everything? Right. Where yeah. it's really easy, Rachel, to buy a tool. I right. implemented X. We reduced the number of phishing emails from this to this. And those were the results. That's tangible. That's measurable. That's something everybody else in the industry can can respect and see. But did it make a difference? No, because the five critical ones just got through. And it really didn't matter that we stopped 30 percent more this year. Because five got through and then we were had and we didn't even. So it's, I, I think psych, psychologically speaking, it's really hard as a manager to prove a negative. We were fine this year because of us, because of right. what we did. Yeah. And there's something we, we really have to work on making those things visible somehow. Yeah. Um, you know, I get asked all the time, you know, Margaret, why would you care about that behavior of a person? Show me exactly why. And I get asked to prove it all the time. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, because. The reality is most people are good. So for me, when I'm looking for bad actors, it can be difficult to prove it because there's so few. And, you know, we get into that same situation sometimes with things like fishing because the number, the scale is enormous. Right. Um, and it's a real challenge, but I think we might be looking at the wrong outcomes sometimes. 
So. I agree with you, or, or not even understanding outcomes. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and the other thing I'll say on, on the insider threat business, you know, we, we do a lot in that area, so we've got some decent experience. Even when we stop somebody, you know, a, a child pornographer, uh, corporate espionage or sabotage, harm to self, harm to others, right? We, we've had some major cases, Rachel, where you mm-hmm. can't talk about it. You can't prove it. Did you save five lives or did you save 50? Right. I don't know. When the FBI raided their house, you know, they had three Claymore mines, six hand grenades and two automatic, you know, rifles, semi-automatic rifles. Maybe who knows what we saved, right? But you you can't prove it and you can't talk about it. So it is a really hard problem. Yeah, (laughs) I did. I did say I might not have all the answers. We may have to replay that. We may have to replay that. Okay, so. Let's talk resiliency. You were just on an yeah. ACT, IACT, uh, was it a workshop or a panel? How would you it characterize it? was a series of roundtables, we'll say, okay. on different topics. And um, I was on the workforce panel. And then um, when the report came out last week, um, I sat down with a few other folks and talked through some of the results. Um, you know, I think we touched quite a bit on you know, innovation and what innovation means for the government, especially in light of the pandemic. And what did you hear? Like, what was the results? Of that? <sighs> well, you know, it's, it's funny because it seems like there is some sense of innovation and change because it was forced. Right. So, you know, we had to do these things right. to because keep of COVID the lights or? on. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. I mean the, yeah. So the workforce had to shift dramatically. Yeah. Right. And so there's this sense of, you know, yay, we innovated, we did this, we've had some success and a little bit of looming fear that when this is over, um, we're going to revert back to normal. Exactly. Yeah. Fall back into back into other habits. Bet, you know, right. Yeah. 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 But w- yeah. What you're saying is we'll shut down all the web access, the VPNs, things like that. And we'll go back to the office working from the corporate office and data centers and everything else. Yeah. I don't buy yeah. that. And, you know, and I don't really buy it either, but I do think that there are some pockets of people who would love to have that right. because it is potentially what they've been doing for 25 years yeah, they know or it. so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I know you've spoken on, on the innovation of the workforce quite a bit. It's, it's comfortable. So I, I, I get why they would go back to that, but I think there will be an equal number that like working from wherever mm-hmm. they like the greater accessibility that COVID provided to them. And candidly, they don't really think about security in most cases. So they assume it's going to be there or it's taken care of <laughs> right. by somebody else, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a really, uh, there's an additional benefit because um, I lived in DC for a long time. Mm-hmm. I'm in Texas now. Um, a lot of these cities are really expensive and we can expand our workforce dramatically right. to people who have varied skill sets or even very specific um, technology related skill sets, uh, when we couldn't do that before. And I think that's, you know, really, really wonderful. So as a hiring manager, one of the things that should have come out of this is my hiring pool has now increased significantly. I can pull somebody from Fargo, North Dakota. Yep. If they have the right skill set, and I can provide them with capability to connect. Mm -hmm. And they can go on vacation to Tampa, Florida, if they want to, and they can still work and that works great. Yeah, and there should there's not really a good reason to 
um, not do it except for if it interferes with the department's mission for, you know, for instance, or if the cost is extreme. And, and on that, I don't really know, um, because I'm, I don't have a deep understanding of how much it costs to do it differently. Um, but I do think there's a major shift coming. Okay. So you talk about a gatekeeping culture or reputation (laughs) in InfoSec. Give us a little more on that one. You know, and, and I don't think it's as bad as it used to be, although I'm still relatively new. Um, but you know, there is a history of being less friendly for women sometimes as it is in STEM in general. Um, and a lot of people know each other. Mm -hmm. So if you're not necessarily in that, in that group or in the, in the clique per se, and you're joining as an outsider, um, it can be difficult to get included. Uh, it's, it's challenging. I think it's, it's pretty common in, um, technology fields, but I do think that, um, security has sort of a club mentality and it's, I don't know, you know, when you see it, I don't, Rachel's laughing because I, th- I think she might understand. <laughs> yeah. No, I, 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 I love this topic though. Cause it, it kind of gets to what we talk a lot, a lot about the, you know, work skills gaps, but also diversity in cyber, you know, because it has been this kind of insulated thing for so long. And to your point, as we start opening the aperture and understanding behavior and and coming at cyber from a a very different lens, because we have to, then you start bringing in, you know, you, you had this great blog that was talking about like philosophy or linguistics, you know what I mean? Or anthropology, but it's, it's so smart because when you look at like social media domains, right. And disinformation and, and how people react to, you know, things that trigger their belief system. Um, you know, those are very important things to understand as we look at how do we address cyber ahead? Yeah. And I mean, really, if you're coming into this world and you're like, you know what, I understand the difference in language between bots and real people. That's really, really cool and very relevant for security. Um, but that same person might not know what a packet is. Right. And then when they're trying to talk to somebody and they're, you know, hyper technical or they're really into, you know, container security or whatever, um, they get kind of an eye roll because they don't know that part. Um, and, and it's not everywhere, but it, it, it does happen. <laughs> I fully, fully agree with you. I, I would not argue that at all. I, I do think it's gotten better over the last decade plus. We've mm-hmm. seen a lot more. I mean, just the sheer number of jobs and the amount of opportunity in the space requires us to pull from outside of that that tight, those tight select communities. And I think make us better. Yeah. And I, you know, I can't be an expert in everything. I'm never going to understand malware, for instance, in any sort of, no, I don't because I know somebody who understands malware and I can be like, Hey, you know, and I think that we really need to start doing that better and recognizing what we don't know. Um, and, and that sort of, um, ability to ask questions or say, Hey, you know, I'm not quite sure what you mean by that and clarifying and finding other experts to work with. Um, I think that's going to make a huge difference. You know, I've heard you say before experience is valuable, but fresh eyes are also valuable. And I think Mm -hmm. that's a really, really pertinent statement to this conversation. You know, the, the, the experienced eyes, if you will, haven't made this problem any better over time. Right. Right. I mean, it, we, we, we're getting worse and worse here. 
So it's time for a fresh view, in my opinion. We've got to look at this problem differently. Yeah, and you know, I um, I'm a good editor. Okay, I can look at somebody else's stuff and say, "Hey, like this and that is wrong." Yeah, and I think most people are very good editors. Mm-hmm. Um, what really takes uh, a little bit more, maybe courage is the right word, is to be the creator and be willing to have other people throw darts at your work. Um, and, you know, I think when we have new people, people with different ideas um, coming into our our world and they're saying stuff that seems weird. Um, when we throw darts, we should also offer alternative solutions. And I think that's, you know, for any industry. but. But really, when you get somebody who's new, they've got some strange idea instead of just, you know, squashing and tell them, yeah, yeah, you know, you know, be a little bit mindful and, you know, work with them on help them shape it uh, and be more constructive. And that's what I mean. Sorry, Mm -hmm. I was going to say, it's like that improv thing where it's yes and, you know, instead of just automatically shutting it down because you never know where where it could go. Um, yeah. And I try and do that because, you know, people, I'm not, I'm not going to name names, but sometimes people ask me some very strange questions about what I can do with cybersecurity and people. And, you know, it's, I get it. It's exciting. It's fun. There's some sort of like, it seems like it has magic dust on it and I can do whatever. Um, but I try not to make people feel silly for asking the question, (laughs) like, (laughs) because it's not going to help. Um, it's, that's what it's you do fun. is fascinating though. I mean, there's, I have so many questions and I've known you for how many years now, and, you know, it, there's just so many layers to what you do. And when we look ahead at how critical it is and how much we don't know, um, you know, and that seems kind of daunting, I think in a lot of ways to have to admit that and, and really have to kind of rejigger how we go about this whole thing. And where do you start? Yeah. And it's funny because if you had three Margaret type people sitting in a room and you asked us the same question, we would have our different theoretical orientation yeah. and perspective. And there's no one way to solve a problem. Right. If there was, we'd be done. Um, and that, you know, something else to keep in mind. <laughs> okay. So I want to take it back to the beginning. New manager, CISO of an organization, right? We've been buying tools for years now. It hasn't worked. How should we think through that problem? Like, give us a couple, two or three things in your mind, Margaret, that understanding humans and their behavior, understanding the, the industry and the problem set. How do you think through that problem? Where, where do you start? I would tell that person to start with something simple and sort of cut the complexity down by a lot. And what I mean by that is pick one thing that you want to change. And it could be, you know, a a click problem or a web problem or whatever. Pick that one thing, understand the outcome that you want. Okay. Measure it. Yep. Do whatever intervention it is. If it's technology, cool. If it's something else, whatever. Track the change, show the value. Okay. And then do it again. And again Um, and again. Rinse and repeat. Yeah. And again and again. And, and what's funny is, you know, when you come into a room and you say, hey, I want to look at this one thing, people will give you like really dirty looks. And then they're like, OK, but let's add this and this and this and this. Yeah. Right. 
And, and that's actually the mistake because you can't do it all at once. Right. And by trying to do it all at once, you're doing nothing. Can't argue with that at all. What else? <laughs> no, I like it. I, I mean, I really, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to keep it simple, stupid guys. Okay. So, yeah. And I so, like basic. I mean, so for somebody new, don't do a bunch of stuff when you first start. Yeah. Sit back, listen, <laughs> find one problem, yes. sink your teeth into yes. it, solve it. Yes. And then iterate. Find your angriest employee and listen to them. <laughs> okay. And, you know, find the person who makes you angry or like gets you a little bit uncomfortable because they may be telling you something that uh, you really need to hear, but you don't want to. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> and that's, that's just sort of a personal thing. Like I, I'm fascinated by people who I don't like or who don't seem to like me because I'm like, Oh, I need to like figure this out. Not so that they like me, but just so I can understand a little bit better. Um, because that usually means we have a very different perspective, which is a good thing. Yeah. yeah. Not a bad thing at all. So yeah, Rachel, you've thing. been in the business a while. Major problem you'd like to solve. We've got Dr. Margaret Cunningham <laughs> here. She's going to have a perspective on it. Give uh, us number two. Well, you know, Margaret, you know, and, and I think you've asked these questions before. What, what would it take for people to stop clicking on crazy things? I mean, what, what would that take? Do we need like a, a keyboard that shocks people every time? No they crazy make a things. <laughs> I mean, what, what would it take that, you know, so we don't click those, okay. those, uh, those links. An internet First, we, have to take, we have to take all the links away, all the buttons yeah. away and the mount, the mouse away because clicking things is fun. We actually get some feedback from clicking things and it's fun. We like it. Um, we're always going to click the wrong thing. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, the best thing that we can do is, um, you know, beef up the protections in that area and figure out a way that when, when someone clicks the thing, um, you have ways to mitigate the impact within your system. Versus just making everything unclickable because and they're, yeah. and they're like, comfortable. They're aware right. and comfortable to report it. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. Episode 48, 49, when we had Erica on Rachel as the co-host, we <laughs> remember clicked. we talked about, she That's clicked right. on this, she clicked on this on link. It. She knew it was bad. They sent something out. She never reported it. I made her, I shamed her into reporting it. <laughs> there was a lot of shame in that episode. There was. I actually felt bad as I listened to it in preparation for today. But I think you said but, at least you know, the company I, didn't go out of business, right? I mean, that was, that was well, the good exactly. thing of it. <laughs> but I was, I was watching CBS um, 60 Minutes and they were talking about the sunburst breach and how FireEye figured out that solar winds was the attack vector that got into, into, into FireEye to steal the red team tools. And it was an employee in IT who had noticed an employee had two cell phones set up, according to Kevin Mandia, two cell phones and the story, two cell phones set up for his, his uh, two-factor authentication, which I think he didn't really say it, but my, my suspicion is that was against policy. Somebody mm -hmm. in IT contacted them. The employee said, no, I only have one cell phone and they started diving into the problem with some of the best IR people in the world and they traced it back. But it was the, it was the psychology of that IT person, that inquisitiveness, right. who knows what their background was, Margaret. I mean, they could have been coming from anywhere, but that's what solved that problem and broke that open, which I thought was fascinating. Yeah, it's just what people say and what they don't say, what they're willing to share 
what's the truth, how easy it is to get information out of people. Um, those are all really important to our world. And, you know, we don't think about it very often. And, and one of the reasons why is it's very difficult. And right. I'm sitting here saying, we're always going to click. We're always going to tell. We're always going to do this. And so people think, well, then why bother working there? Let's just make more technology. But yeah. um, it's in understanding all of that, that we can make technology that works. Okay. Okay. So Rachel, it's time to wrap up. Last Is question it? for Dr. Cunningham. <laughs> oh, wow. Last question. That's a tough one. Um, I think uh, here, here we go. Um, you know, we hear a lot about resilience. And I think for a lot of people out there, there may be some confusion on what that means. So since you've been on a lot of panels and discussion boards about resilience, I would love to hear your perspective on, on what that means today. I will keep it simple. I think that resilience is the ability to adapt to change, successfully adapt to change. Interesting. Okay. I like it. Um, and I know that that is different from like technology being resilient to things and not failing. Um, but I, I really do think that it is um, that capability to adapt. I like that. Yeah. I really do. I think a lot of people would talk about technology all day long, but it's so much more than technology. Not my area. Yeah. I mean, you saw it with like not Petra in the Ukraine, right? Yeah. Technology did, went away, yet the Ukraine was able to get back online. The people were resilient. They adapted to the tech going away. They got the power online. The society started to function again. I, I would say they were very resilient and it wasn't about tech. Once it went away. No. And, you know, I would even argue that the people in your organization reflect the resiliency of your, of your actual right. organization. So there it's not separate. So when your organization can withstand change and adapt, your people are better at adapting and, and dealing with that change. And in turn, because the people are doing a good job because they have, you know, an organization that's capable of doing it, it's a positive feedback loop. Um, but when the organization fails, the people are set up to fail. And then when the people fail, you know, right. other direction. Margaret, you always open my mind. I really, I mean, <laughs> love having you on the show. You, you oh, know, I love these, being these here. Topics, it's so much better than talking about <laughs> speeds and feeds or, right. or, you know, the number of data packets we can inspect it. I mean, it, it just, it's, it's the, it's the direction I think the industry needs to go in. Yeah. Really understanding people. So thank you for your time. Yeah, you're welcome. And I'm always happy to talk. And Rachel, Eric, it's been a pleasure. All right, everybody. Have a great week. This has been To The Point. Thanks, everybody. Take care. Thanks for joining us on the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast, brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit www.forcepoint.com slash govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts.